In connection with what we as Church of our Lord Jesus Christ confess in Lord's Day 26, we will read together from the Old Testament from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 16 to 38. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their deeds before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but only for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanness And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of your field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God, Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. 
and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the people, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So far. We'll now turn to Lord's Day 26 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Found on page 540 of your book of praise. Where we confess the following, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you. In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that, as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration, and the washing away of sins. After the sermon, we'll sing as our Amen song, hymn 63, verses 6, 7 and 8. Beloved in Christ the Lord, the birth and baptism of a child are special events for the family of God. There are so many reasons for thanksgiving. We thank God that the mother was given strength for labour and delivery. We thank God that the child was brought into this world alive, healthy. We thank God that he grows his church in this way, one child at a time. And above all, we thank God that he gives each child his covenant promises. 
We're thankful too that baptism is a fairly common experience among us. Yet, with baptism being a normal feature of our worship services, we're probably in danger of overlooking this sacrament. And with all of us having been baptised at some point in our lives, we might think that baptism is only a matter of course. For you know the routine. The familiar form is read. The doctrine of holy baptism is summarised as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath. And so on. The form is read. A prayer is offered. The parents rise and are asked three pointed questions to which they give their I do. Then they step forward and the minister says those familiar words. I baptise you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's all done quickly and done simply. Not even half a cup of water is sprinkled on the forehead of the child as the minister says these solemn words. And that's it. All done. Another child baptised. Time to get on with the rest of the service. Now, one big benefit of preaching through the Heidelberg Catechism is that we get an annual refresher in our knowledge of the Bible's teachings, including the doctrine of baptism. For we all forget. Even if we have memorised Lord's Days 26 and 27 in the past, even if we've heard that form read countless times, we forget. What exactly is going on at baptism? Why the water? Why the sprinkling? What does all this mean for my Christian life tomorrow when I go back to school or work and play? I preach God's word to you as it is summarised in Lord's Day 26. In the blood and spirit of Christ we are washed. Certainly, completely, conclusively. We are washed, certainly. We've said that we're used to a certain routine when a child is presented for baptism. This isn't bad in itself. But again, so that we don't watch baptism in an unthinking way, we must see what lies at its very heart. So take away everything that is just done as tradition or routine. Take away the fancy gown, the nice baptismal font, and the grandma, or whoever, holding the baby. Take away that familiar form. Take away even the three questions to the parents as they stand at the front of the church. Take it all away, and what do we have? We have the simple act of sprinkling water on the forehead of a child. Whether one sprinkle or three, whether with a lot of water or a little, however it is done, at the heart of baptism, there is water applied to the body of the one being baptised. And this is what the Catechism calls the sign of outward washing. Though no soap or brush is used, this is washing. Though the water is hardly worked in, but only touched to the skin, this is washing. And just like baptism, hardly looks like a washing, so those who are baptised hardly look like they need to be cleaned.
If anyone is clean and fresh and nice-smelling, it is usually a newborn baby. Yet these sparkling, clean little children are brought into God's church so that they can be washed. As we think about baptism as washing, let's remember Lord's Day 25. Then we said that the sacraments are physical acts that point us to spiritual growth. With things that can be seen with the eyes, the sacraments teach us about what cannot be seen. And here is the invisible reality to which the sprinkled water of baptism points. It is an act of spiritual cleansing. It is an act of sin purifying, a powerful taking away of dirt from the soul. For there is something else that is not seen at a baptism, and that is sin. Festering, hideous, filthy sin. Has an actual sin already been committed by that little child, just 10 days old? Is there a transgression that needs to be washed away that Sunday morning? Likely not, but it doesn't matter. Sin always goes way deeper than what can be seen or heard or felt. And this is what the theologians, sorry, this is what the theologians call the pollution of sin in the human heart. For sin has seeped into the centre of every person from the day of Adam. It has ruined our original beauty and it has contaminated our desires. Even that little child needs to be washed, for even that little child is stained and polluted at her very core. Parents will attest to this. Their child might look innocent and pure at first, but it doesn't take long for sin to rear its ugly head. We start to sin already when we're very young, and we continue to sin until the day we die. For we can't escape or fully suppress the pollution that is residing in our hearts. If you've ever driven to an old landfill or garbage dump, you've seen a picture of this pollution. It might be buried deep under layers of tons, layer of tons of soil and rock, but the mountain of rubbish is still there. It doesn't go away. And over the years, potent gases still leak out and toxic soup still trickles from the ground. In the same way, the moral pollution that naturally lives inside us will bubble up from within and cause harm. So, we really do need to be washed from sin. God calls his people to be holy, just as he is holy. And he even lets us share in his holiness. That garbage dump can become a beautiful garden. This is why God always insists that his people be clean, separate from everything that can make them defiled. The Israelites couldn't touch a dead body or someone with leprosy or eat unclean foods. The lesson was that God wanted a wide-reaching holiness from his people. He wants a life that is pure, a heart that is clean. But who can be stainless before God? Say an Israelite followed all the legal regulations for cleanliness. Even then, the impurity of their soul remained. Even if a child was baptised every Sunday for the rest of its life, 
the impurity of the soul would remain. Ezekiel speaks about this persistent pollution. When he prophesied, the offence of Israel's sin couldn't be overlooked. The prophet himself was among the first group of exiles taken away to Babylon in judgment. And for God's people in captivity, Ezekiel had more bad news. Jerusalem and the temple are going to be destroyed and a great number more people carried off. God could no longer stand Israel's foul smell. He was going to burn it away with fire. Says God of his nation in chapter 36, verse 17, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it with their own ways and deeds. God saw their grievous sin, their violence, their idolatry, their blasphemy, and God was disgusted. Sin is an offence to the holy God. The Lord puts it in striking terms. To me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. For another way that the people became unclean physically was when various discharges came from their bodies, semen or blood. That was one thing, an outward uncleanness that happened naturally. But it taught a lesson about being spiritually defiled and this defilement was by their own choice. And in verse 17, God compares the constant uncleanness of his people to being like a period that never ends. It's similar to what Israel confesses in Isaiah 64, verse 6. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The Hebrew word that is used here for rags doesn't describe something like a kitchen cloth, a piece of material we use to wipe up a spill on the benchtop. It describes the kind of cloth used during a woman's monthly uncleanness. Even when we try to be righteous and we do good, we're as unclean as a bloody rag in the sight of God. It's a shocking and uncomfortable image, and that is deliberate. For this image shows the nature of our sinfulness, whether we're male or female, whether we're young or old. For our sin is so persistent, naturally welling up from within us, day after day. And like a woman's uncleanness held her back from worshipping God for a while, so sin constantly gets in the way of our service of the Lord. It pushes us out of the presence of God, alienates us from the God of our life. We are defiled by the sin that flows unstoppably from within us. The thoughts we think about other people, the words we say, the things we choose to look at, and so much more. So God has every reason to cast us away like a dirty rag. Why would you hold on to such a disgusting thing? Into the garbage and out to the road, and the sooner the better. But our God and Father is so merciful. He doesn't leave us in our squalor forever. Listen to how God promises his people a powerful cleansing. He will treat not just the outward symptoms, but get to the root cause. 
by washing our heart. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. God will cleanse us. In the law, the Lord had already given Israel a system of cleansing. Through sacrifice and blood and bathing in water, they could be cleaned of their impurities. But this wasn't enough. It wasn't permanent enough. It wasn't thorough enough. So God himself would do it. The Lord began purifying his people through the punishment of the exile, sending them to Babylon where they could learn humility and obedience. But it would never be enough. So God takes a new initiative. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. It will be a drastic purification. And God is going to do this, not by the repeated punishment of his people, but by the one-time punishment of his son. Through the blood of Jesus, God removes all the defilements and offence of our lives and he makes us holy. Here is the certainty of our washing. Just as certainly as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly Christ's blood and spirit wash away the impurity of our soul, that is, all my sins. We can watch the simple act of baptism with confidence and amazement. We see the water sprinkled and we know what it points to. We know God just doesn't douse us with plain water because all the waters in all the seas couldn't wash away our sins. But speaking through baptism, through the outward washing, God promises that so certainly does he cleanse our souls with Christ. At baptism, we learn that we're purified, spiritually scrubbed, made clean. With God's sprinkled water in Christ Jesus, I am washed, certainly and completely washed. We are washed completely. No one would deny that we're sinful and in needs of cleansing. But when we get it, how complete is this forgiveness? We believe we are washed but fully? What if I've done really wicked things, things hidden, things never confessed? Is my cleansing complete? Can God forgive every single sin? And this is what the Lord our God does. See the key word all in this Lord's Day. God promises at baptism to wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. Think here of the other sacrament, Lord's Supper, where God grants to you the complete forgiveness of all your sins. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, all my sins can be washed away. Sins of my youth and sins of today. Sins of my lips, of my life, of my walk, of half-heartedness, of presumption, and pride, sins of yielding to Satan's temptations, being unwatchful when I know him to be near, sins known to others, sins known only to me.
sins in the study of God's word and in the neglect of it, sins of prayer irreverently offered or prayer coldly withheld. God forgives my sins of omission when I knew the good that I had to do, like helping someone in need, but when I failed to do it. And he forgives my sins of commission when I knew something was evil, like giving into bitterness or anger, but I still did it anyway. Sins of time misspent and of good gifts squandered. Sin against God and sins against my neighbour. Sins remembered, sins forgotten. All my sins thrown into the depths of the sea. And this is God's promise from 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful promise and it comes with a built-in obligation. We must confess our sins. And what does it mean to confess? To bring our sins into the open. Name them and resolve to fight against them. Examine yourself for these sins and be honest about them and how they grieve the Lord. It is not God's will that we simply continue with our lack of prayer or our drunkenness or our bitterness, but that we confess and repent. Bring your sins to God and believe that God cleanses us even completely. When a flood hits a town, the destruction is horrible. Houses, barns, roads, bridges, all washed away. But even so, there is almost always left some evidence of what has been there before. Splinters of wood, foundations of houses, the personal belongings of people now gone, you can still tell where a village once stood. But when God sprinkles his water on us and washes us, there is nothing left of our sins. In his mercy, God would never forgive us, only partially. What would be the sense of that? For if there was still even one sin remaining, we'd still be no further ahead. With just one sin on our account, we'd still be condemned. So, through Ezekiel, God promises a cleansing that is complete. You shall be clean. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Think also of David in Psalm 51. He prays not for a quick rinse, but asks for a complete cleanse. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And God will do it. As God said to Israel in Isaiah 1, Though your sins are like crimson, they shall be as wool. That is dramatic, radical and complete forgiveness. We are sinners. If we're completely honest, we'll even say with Paul, we are the worst of sinners. We've thought terrible thoughts and done horrible things. There might be sins that we're too ashamed even to bring back into our minds. But then by God's grace, we can also say with Paul, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God.
Baptism signifies our new identity, which is wrapped up with our new purpose, to no longer live for sin and its pleasures, but to live in joy of holiness before God. The once tainted prostitute has become a pure and sparkling bride. Christ has washed us in order to present us to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are still sinners. That is a truth and a battle that will remain for as long as we drag around this body of death. But then we must also see ourselves as those changed by Christ. We are forgiven and restored and called to a different style of life. We are washed conclusively. The cleansing of our bodies is never done. Each morning and night we devote some time to personal hygiene. Even a little baby must be bathed every few days. If we're clean today, we'll probably be dirty again tomorrow. So also for our sins, sad to say. If we ask for forgiveness today, we'll need to ask again tomorrow. That pollution of sin doesn't just go away, but it keeps on bubbling up. Left on our own, even our best intentions for new faith and obedience would come to nothing. And so the source must be treated, the heart made clean. That is just what God promises in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There is a need for a new beginning. So God declares, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. For God sends a spirit of Christ and he renews us. We've already said baptism points not only to an external washing, nor to an incomplete washing. So now we say baptism points not to a temporary washing, but to a washing that will be permanent. God cleans us with the blood of Christ, and with his spirit, God will keep us clean. God says that he will put his spirit within us. And he will bring guaranteed results, obedience, faith. Though baptism is done in an instant, this cleansing in the blood and spirit of Christ is a process that lasts for all our days. To be washed with his spirit means that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. This is a day-by-day process, being washed being cleansed, being renewed. It's good to remember that this is a process. Sometimes we wish we could mature all at once. I'd like to be done with every sin, achieve a rock-solid holiness, have a no-stick coating on our hearts so that Satan's temptations can't ever penetrate. But being renewed takes a lifetime. As we grow in faith we have to learn new habits. We have to keep fighting against our old desires. 
Just like that little baby has to grow up physically, we have to grow. We have to keep increasing in godliness, keep loosening our attachment to this world. And this growth in holiness will only happen when we open the word and devote ourselves to prayer and become living members of Christ's church. Even when we press towards what is ahead, progress is slow. Yet we know God has started a work in us that he will complete. At baptism, God promises to wash us, certainly, completely and conclusively. This makes baptism a joyful event, a cause for deep thanksgiving. And baptism is not only about that beautiful little child, or about her parents, or even about the ever-growing church, but baptism is about bringing yet more glory to God's name. For after Ezekiel brought the wonderful news of restoration to Israel, maybe some people wondered, why would God do this? Why bring back these unclean people and sprinkle them with purifying water? Why would God save us and wash us? And in answer, God declares, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy namesake. This is why I'm doing it, the Lord says, for the glory of my name. God's amazing grace is meant to move us to worship him. The gift of baptism calls each of us to live for his glory. So we put our faith in God, the one who gives promises and keeps them. It is for the sake of God's holy name that we are washed, we are sanctified and we are justified. To him be all the glory for ever and ever. Amen.